You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, fellow fans of Fabulous Monarchs. I'm MC Williams of the Myths You Teacher Hated podcast here with a friendly reminder from Katie and Nathan. History can be a dirty business, as you're about to find out, so expect some inventive cursing in this episode. After all, sometimes the only word that can properly describe the movers and shakers of the world is asshole. If you're cool with some F-bombs to color your ancient goodness, then you're my kind of people and you might like my show. Myths Your Teacher Hated tells mythology, legends, and fairy tales from all over the world in all of their original, bloody, uncensored glory. From the Aztec Empire to ancient Greece to the Ming Dynasty, you'll see that trickster gods are awesome and that sky gods are assholes. See? I told you that it's sometimes the right word. Enjoy the show. Hi, this is Katie. And this is Nathan. And you're listening to Queen's Podcast, the show about badass women in history. Nathan. Katie, it's time for another episode. Of Queen's Podcast. <laughs> the first episode of 2023. Woo! I love it. Yeah. This is, we are now in our sixth year of the podcast. March is going to be six years. Oh my gosh, six years. That's crazy to think about. I know. Oh, well. It's it's been fun every single step of the way, and we have been talking about one thing for a while that we're a little bit closer to. We've been talking about for a while, wanting to eventually do a Queen's podcast uh, listener meetup at the Tower of London, but... I've been dragging Nathan for years for not having a passport, so we couldn't do that. I know, and it's been very painful because I've been getting DMs from people being like, Nathan, get your passport. Nathan, get your passport. Get your fucking passport, Nathan. And guess what Nathan did? (gasps) He applied for his passport. Woo! Um, So it is on the way. We just checked the status. It was about four weeks ago. So she's coming. She's She's coming. coming. So if we want a Tower of London meetup, we are ready. Ready to go. Yeah. So keep listeners, keep your ears open. I was going to say eyes peeled, but that's not what you do on a podcast. But anyway, li- just pay attention and we'll definitely let y'all know when we are ready to plan that. So that'll be an exciting thing that I hope we can do in 2023. What do you think, Nathan? I cannot wait. Nathan, who are we talking about today? We are talking about none other than Margaret of Austria, the Duchess of Savoy, as she's most commonly known, and powerful, smart woman who is probably the most powerful woman in Europe for a while when she acted as regent for her nephew, you know, the Holy Roman Emperor, state of mind. mind. But today, we're going to be talking about her early years. Yeah, so... I want to do a quick shout out to supporter Ava because we ran a little contest on our Patreon for our highest tier supporters called the Queen Mothers. Uh, that's that level. And um, we were like, whoever wins is going to get to pick the next queen. And listener supporter Ava chose Margaret of Austria. And I absolutely love this. It was so, she was so much fun to research. So, Nathan, is this. I don't know. Do you think that's maybe something we could do again soon? Like throw that up for the Queen Mother supporters to pick again soon? I love this idea because I think it's a great thing to have because me and you pick all the time. And so it's like, oh, what can we pick now? It's great to to just not have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Just take that off our plate, guys. That would be great. (laughs) Yeah, please, please. We love it. (laughs) Well, and it's also just a lot of fun to be able to um, do what our listeners want us, you know, what you guys really want. So, yeah. But uh, so thank you, Ava. And now, Nathan, tell us about this cocktail. Ooh, this cocktail is going to be tasty and delicious. Might be 
my new favorite out of all of the cocktails that we've made. Um, this one is called the Habsburg Margarita. Ooh. So what you have in the Habsburg Margarita is two shots of tequila, half a shot of blood orange liqueur, a half shot of cranberry juice, mm-hmm. and then a shot of lime juice. And then you put a little bit, I, I put about a half of a shot of um, agave syrup, which mm-hmm. is just agave nectar with water, and you boil it. Um, and then you just put that in there, shake it up in an ice glass, and then serve it. You could also blend it up like Katie has. She has a mocktail, but she blended it up and has a frozen one. I put mine on the rocks. Either way is fine. It is beautiful. It's a cute little pink color. You garnish it it's with a so lime, pretty. and it is tasty and delicious. It's just like a margarita, but cranberry and blood orange. Are you kidding me? It's delicious. I love it. Longtime listeners of the show know that every year I do dry January. So I did a mocktail version. There is this fake like substitute tequila uh, by this brand called Ritual. I'll put a link in the show notes if you guys are also trying to do dry January. Yeah, I did pretty much the exact same recipe, except I blended mine because I didn't know what to use in my replacement of liqueur. So I ended up just getting fresh uh, frozen berries, frozen cranberries and raspberries and blending those up with the agave. And so, yeah, I did mine frozen with the substitute tequila by Ritual and mm, she's good. That sounds really good. She's refreshing as hell. Um, Berry margarita. Yes. All right. <laughs> so we, before we get started, we've got a couple of Patreon shoutouts. Shoutout time. Woo! So thank you so much to supporters Brandy, Abigail, Nancy, Carolyn, Sarah, and Michaela. Also shoutouts to Anne, Stephanie, Mary, Denise, Kitty, and Marlena. And today we've also got a couple of Patreon supporters. That just put really fun names for the name in there, like the name that they wanted shouted out. So yeah, first, for sure. um, let's give a shout out to the fabulous TT. Ooh, fabulous TT! Hey, fabulous TT! Hey, fabulous TT! Hey, thank you, fabulous TT. That's, that's what my ex boyfriend said about me. Oh, <laughs> And thank you to uh, their majesties, King Dom and Queen Kate of Seattle. Oh, Oh, okay. We got some royal supporters up in here. No, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters at every level and all of our listeners. Even if you're not paying us, I I still like you. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out. You're You're good people. All right, Nathan, let's get into Margaret. Tell me about her. So, Margaret of Austria was born January 10th of 1480 in modern-day Belgium, and her father was Maximilian I, Holy Roman Emperor, you know, state of mind, and through him, she's part of the Habsburg jaw, that lantern jaw, (laughs) um, the Habsburg family, thus the name of the cocktail. Though it looks like in her portraits, she did not get the jaw, so... No, she did not get the job. The inbreeding had not hit just yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and her mother was Mary of Burgundy, who was given the nickname Mary the Rich, which, ah. Hmm. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She didn't really have to want much in her childhood is what we're getting at. Her mother was the ruler of the quote unquote low countries in her own right, which I was like, what the, what the fuck are the low countries? What does that mean? Well, that refers to the part of Europe that is today, modern-day Belgium, the Nether, the Netherlands, Luxembourg. And that's kind of where, when she was in her parents' lands, she spent most of her time in the Low Countries, and she was born in Belgium. So her dad's running the Holy Roman Empire. Her mom's running um, Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg. So this family is covering a lot of land like they are loaded yes and her parents had a dynastic marriage but it seemed like they actually loved each other so that's nice (laughs) finally i put some pictures of her parents in the show notes here i just love her mother's outfit like yeah i love her mother's outfit too and and you can totally tell that the 
the jaw has not hit the family yet. Yes, yes. And Margaret had one older brother who we have met before on this podcast, um, Philip. Uh, he was known to be Philip the Handsome. And <laughs> looking at his pictures, was he handsome? I feel like the, Yeah, like <laughs> maybe the standards were different back then. Maybe this is just a really bad portrait. I don't know. Yeah, but her brother is that fucking guy that did Juana of Castile so horrible. And ugh. Yeah. But right now, Juana, we're just not going to, we can't. No. Go listen to that episode. Yeah. Uh, She's just a baby at this point. Yeah, Philip's just a baby. He's a handsome baby, I guess. So Margaret and Philip were raised by their step-grandmother, who her name was Margaret of York. Which, you know, longtime listeners or people that study this era a lot might recognize that of York. She is from that York family, the English family. She was sister of two English kings, Edward IV and Uncle Dick, a.k.a. Richard III. And she is a very, very powerful dowager duchess of Burgundy. And she's put in charge of raising these babies. So you know she's got to be like smart, very capable herself to be running these lands and raising these children. And sadly, in 1483, Margaret of Austria's mom, Mary, dies really young. Um, She fell from a horse and ended up dying this really long, dragged out death, which is just horrible. Yeah, we all hope that, you know, if you're going to go, go quickly. Sadly, that was not Mama Mary's... uh, plot in life she she lingered which oh hate this for her hate this journey for her agreed uh after her mom dies um her dad really did grieve her and threw like this huge over-the-top funeral and everything but then he looks around and he's like all right we've got to get our heads in the game we have to make some alliances now that we've kind of lost this other you know footholding now that mary's gone We need to make some alliances. And he decides, you know what? My daughter isn't getting any fucking younger. It's time to marry her off and make peace with France. Yup. And at the ripe old age of three years old, she's engaged. Three. Three. Yeah, I know. But (laughs) at least she's engaged to the son of the king of France. I mean, maybe that's a consolation prize. Yeah. Um, But (laughs) the king's name was Louis XI, and the Dauphin, her fiancé, was named Charles. Margaret was three. Charles was three. 13. So this is going to be a pretty long engagement if you don't know what I'm getting at here. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, so Maggie was sent to France at age three. And luckily, it was actually put in the marriage contract that like, she would not be expected to actually consummate this marriage until she was like post puberty age, like probably like 15 or something like that. Thank God. Thank God. Oh, my God. But still, this agreement and engagement, um, it's viewed as, like, a legally binding actual marriage. Even though they never, like, well, we'll get to it in a little bit. But, like, for the rest of her life, Margaret did view this as her first marriage. So put a pin in that. Put a pin in that. The thing is, her dad, Maximilian, didn't want her to be raised in France But it was a big part of the argument, you know, future queen of France, Mm -hmm. she needs to be raised to be French. Right, Like, just makes sense. It does. Um, So when it was time for her to move, the French king sent his dudes to escort her to her ship. And those dudes were armed guards, like big, scary knights. Mm -hmm. And because... They were afraid Maximilian was going to try to stop her from going somehow. Right. I wonder I wonder if Margaret remembers this. Do you remember anything from when you were three? I think I have one or two memories from, like, when I was that young. I do. I do have, like, one or two memories. I, I like, climbed out of a crib. I, that was, like, a two-year-old memory where, like, I remember doing stuff like that. Yeah. I hope she doesn't remember this because this sounds traumatic. That's fucking hell. Like, she's three and she is being escorted by these strangers with weapons away from, like, the only home she's ever known. 
that sounds like something she's going to need to work through in therapy later. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> we hope that she doesn't remember yeah. that, but we do hope that she remembers like, you know, a little bit later whenever she arrived in Paris, yeah. um, because she was brought into the city dripping in Jules Eleguanza, mm-hmm. wearing the most expensive gowns money could buy, mm-hmm. which, I mean, can you imagine just being a peasant covered in dirt, <laughs> smelling like shite, and being like, all of this for some baby? Like, can I have some food, please? Yeah, please? like... <laughs> but after she arrived, I read that their betrothal was consecrated. Um, so I googled what what does consecrated mean, and it says it's something about, like, having it officially like, recognized by the church or something. Um, Jesified. Jesified, yes. So their their uh, marriage contract was Jesified, and there was some kind of church ceremony, and they did mass about it. They did mass about them b- being engaged. Um, here are these two children. Cool. Like, they're engaged now. <laughs> it was a big deal. <laughs> But what we do know is that her first few years there, Margaret was treated like the queen that she deserved to be. Um, She was doted on. She was spoiled. She literally, just like earlier in her life, she wanted for nothing in her life. Exactly. It's like they believe that she's, you know, our future queen. Yeah, she's a baby now, but she's going to remember us whenever she's growing up and how we treated her. So... You know, and also she's this really sweet, charming kid. So she's just easy to love anyway. You know, yeah, she's popular. She's popular. She's popular. She's going to be popular. Yes, she is. We are the gayest duo. That was. Are you kidding me? Uh, that was so theater kid of us. Like that we didn't even play in that. We were both just like wicked. Yes. Popular. Anyway. The year after that Margaret arrived, King Louis um, died. And now her 14-year-old fiancé is king. He is King Charles VIII of France. And while today we'd be like, "Mm, 14 seems a little young to be king. Um, That is our opinion. Uh, Back then, it wasn't unheard of. Like, there had been kings that were three. You know, like, that wasn't... Yeah. It was young, but, like, he still needed a regent. He still needed a regency, someone to help him run shit until he hit his majority, which I think is like 16, somewhere between 16 and 18. But at 14, he was expected to take on some responsibilities, like some, like play a little bit of a role, even if it's just like practice, you know? Yeah, doing a little something around court. But he's just not into it at all. Charlie liked to party and he liked to go hunting and have a good time. And honestly, at this stage in his life, he did not give a fuck Zero. about the matter of states. Zero nope. fucks given. Or little baby fiance over there. So, I mean, I can't be super mad at him because he's like 14 and she's like four. <laughs> so obviously you're not interested in the same things. Yeah. She's learning how to speak English. French. You are. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> oh, wow. She's learning to speak French, um, but she's just, this isn't like, what do you have in common with a four-year-old? You can't be mad that he wasn't like doting on his little fiance because he's a, he's a teenager and she is a toddler. You know, like Charlie eight had an older sister named Anne. Anne was 22 and she was smart as fucking hell. In fact, their dad, Louie had said that something along the lines of, like, Anne is the smartest woman in the country. She is the most equipped person in the country to rule France. So it's really a fucking shame that she was skipped over for her adolescent brother when France could have had such a competent ruler in the long term in her. But instead, she just acts as regent for Charlie over the next few years. And Charlie was like, hey, can you take uh, care of Margaret, too? You know, I'm 14 years old. I have no idea to do with a four-year-old. Like, how do I I manage that? So Margaret was moved into Anne's home. Right. Um, Actually, 
Margaret wasn't the only one because Anne was so well-respected and so well-educated. A lot of the noble families in France and, like, some of the surrounding counties and stuff, like, looked over and were like, I want this woman in charge of my daughter's education. So a lot of other noble French girls got sent over there and they were getting bomb-ass educations. Like, this is a generation of girls that were just pretty much educated on par with boys, which now seems like a no-brainer, but back then was, like, pretty revolutionary. Yeah, we finally get, we can educate women? What? What? One thing, though, another thing that she put in place was measures of manners. And one thing that I read that I was just like, okay, she would tell the girls, you know, if if your nose is running, get a napkin. Don't just wipe it with your hands. Don't just wipe it on your dress. Get a napkin. And back then it was like, okay, you think you're better than us? Like even the nobility so would like walk she around invented, with snot on their hands. She invented Kleenex. I is what you're telling me. She <laughs> totally concept. invented Kleenex. The concept yes, of Kleenex, yes. yes. <laughs> um, one of her closest friends growing up was this noble girl named Louise of Savoy. And her parents were the Duke and Duchess of Savoy, and they had very, very similar stories. Their mothers died when they were young. They were both engaged to boys from powerful French families. So needless to say, with similar backgrounds, they hit it off. Mm -hmm. And Louise has a brother named Philbert, which I just love. Philbert. Um, (laughs) Philbert. Philbert. Um, And we will put a pin in that guy. um, And... He may be important for a little bit later. Later. Yeah, maybe in part two. (laughs) Um, I put in the show notes, uh, they did a really, really cute portrait of Margaret when she was 11. And I'll definitely throw that up on Instagram as well. It's hanging in the Met, I believe, in New York right now. So, Nathan, we should make our way to the Met sometime soon to see it. But I feel like a lot of the times... It just shows her status, because I feel like a lot of the times for these royal women, we get one official portrait of them ever, and that's, like, when they're adults. And so to have this one of her whenever she was a little kid, and it's so pretty. And you can tell that she's such a cute little kid, too, from it, I think. She's looking fierce, just like her mama was. And you can tell. looking, looking great. She's got a little bit of hair sticking out, so you can tell that she's blonde. Um, She's got, if you zoom in the uh, pearls on like the details around her neck have little C's and M's on them for Charles and Margaret. Oh, I love this. Yeah. yeah she's a regal as fuck little kid. Going to be queen of France sometime. Anyway. Yeah. I'll put that. Uh, yeah. I- so she is, she literally has very little to complain about. Yes. <laughs> her upbringing is amazing. Her dad is emperor. Her fiance is a king. She has people that care about her. What could, possibly go wrong and that's where we're gonna end this episode no (laughs) and that's it she lived happily ever after (laughs) you know what Uh, before something does go wrong why don't we take a quick break i'm gonna make myself another one of these mocktails and we'll be right back i'm gonna make an actual cocktail because i like cock Ah! (laughs) (laughs) i have no follow-up there okay we'll be right back I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. Hello everyone, Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. 
Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. And we're back. So, things were going absolutely great for baby Maggie until they weren't. Until they weren't. (laughs) Right. So, like, let's fast forward about five years. And so we're going to change gears a little bit as well. So the year is 1488. And the Duke of Brittany has just died. Uh, it's Brittany, bitch. It's Brittany, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So Brittany is this very rich, like, duchy. Um, the Duke of Brittany is a very rich and powerful dude. And when he died, his 11-year-old daughter, Anne of Brittany, was his only heir. Anne of Brittany is a super fascinating woman who we will discuss one day. She's the only woman... That was Queen of France twice. Married two different kings of France. Love it. Yeah. Kind of so jealous. We're not go- <laughs> I don't think she was happy with either of them, that, oh, if I remember correctly. But, yeah, we won't spend too much time on her. But, yeah, let us know if you want us to cover her in the future. But, anyway, her dad is dead. And she is now the only heir to Brittany. And she's 11 years old. She's fully aware that she is living in history and that history is a bag of dicks. And she looks around and she's like, if I don't get married right away, someone is going to come and kidnap me or take my lands or try to poison me, force me into a marriage. If I don't take control of the situation and get an alliance ASAP, I'm fucked. Very smart girl. So she looks around and is like, hmm... Who's got money, honey? Money, honey. And who can flex those muscles because they're powerful? And who's single because you can't marry a married man because mm, that yeah. might be a problem. He and Boleyn. Um, and, <laughs> and she lands on Maximilian, Margaret of Austria's dad. So she calls him up and is like, hey, how would you like to add Duke of Brittany to your list of titles? A.K.A. Will you marry me? She proposes <laughs> to him, an 11 year old. I love that. <laughs> I know. And Maximilian is like, mm, yes, yes, yeah, girl. absolutely. Yeah, girl. Here he is. She's 11. He's 30. Don't think about it too much. Don't what? think about it. Uh, <laughs> Max and, <laughs> yeah. Can't stop no, me. Can't stop put it on me. your head. Um, <laughs> Max and Anna Brittany marry by proxy two years later. Yeah. And if you're. New to marriages by proxy, which was a weird tradition from the old times. I mean, we've covered it in a couple of different episodes, but mm. it's if a couple couldn't get together because um, they're in different countries and a marriage alliance actually needed to be completed ASAP. So each couple would have this little wedding ceremony wherever they were in the world at the time. And someone else would stand in for their partner. So um, you just have this little mock wedding that was legally (laughs) binding at the end of the day. Uh, But those marriages weren't really considered. Those marriages weren't considered totally binding until after ye old boning happened, a.k.a. Consummation. consummation. <laughs> but you can't fuck by proxy. I know. That, oh, that, I, I don't even want to know how that would happen. It can't. Can't fuck by proxy. I think we need to make some, some anniversary cards or something for the merch store. <laughs> some, we- some wedding cards. You can't fuck by proxy. Um... <laughs> weird little tradition like I they know. did back then yeah anyway so margaret has a stepmom now but then the following year her fiance slash husband or whatever charles um is like you know what i i really like the sound of duke of Brittany. i would really love to be duke of Brittany. 
And so he sends troops to attack those lands. So stepmom Anne calls back up Maximilian and is like, husband, hello, I need troops, I need help, I'm afraid this guy is going to try to take me prisoner or worse. He leaves her on red. Maximilian doesn't send any help to his little... He's like calling himself Duke of Brittany over here, but he's not he's not protecting his bride. Like how fuck up how fucked up is that? Uh, it's that holy Roman Emperor state of mind. Douchebag state of mind. <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> and so that made Kate- me really mad in case you can't tell. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> Katie's pierced. Uh, pierced. <laughs> and so but anyway, so since Maximilian didn't send troops, Charles is like, okay, you got two choices. Uh, you can run off to Maximilian and, you know, I just take your lands and titles away. Um, or you can keep your title, you can keep your castles, keep your lands, but you have to marry me to become queen of France. She's like, Anne's like, are you fucking crazy? I'm already married. You're already married. With the, uh, 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 Does it no, work? Uh, he was like, technicality, you know, like. You have never met your husband in real life, and my wife is a child. So that means both of us haven't consummated our marriages. This little shady lady. You can't fuck by proxy, and thank God he's not sleeping with his child bride. And so he's like, that means that we could both pretty easily get out of our marriages if we want to. And she's like, I don't want to. And he's like, I don't really fucking care. Uh, <laughs> that is exactly what happened. So direct quote. <laughs> yeah. Long story short, Margaret's former stepmom is now married to her former fiance. Our girl Maggie is now single and ready to mingle, Ugh. but Charles doesn't want to send her home just yet. Um, if she was still there in France, he had a bargaining chip with her dad. Yeah, it makes me think of, you know, like, Theon in Game of Thrones. Like, uh, you know, if she's with you me, always make her a Game dad, of Thrones reference. <laughs> I always do. I always do. But I yeah, do if she's with me, you can't you can't start shit because I could do harm Kill to your her. daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, though, Margaret didn't want to leave France. I, I mean, she left France because up until this point in her life, France had been her whole world, you know? She's been there since she was three. Her identity, her self-identity was rooted in, I'm the queen of France. The people here love me. I don't remember living in Belgium, you know? Like, she speaks French. She dresses like the French. Everybody she knows is French. Like, would she even recognize her step-grandma, her brother, or her dad if she saw them, you know? No. And unfortunately, the French court didn't feel the same affinity towards her. And though she was still housed in a palace and got to keep all her nice stuff, overnight, people just started treating her differently. She immediately was treated like an absolute social pariah in the only home she's ever really known really sad like i hate this for her that is so sad another thing she's gonna need therapy for (laughs) not as much as genji genji needed therapy genji needed the most therapy (laughs) actually there's a lot of historical figures figures that that needed therapy (laughs) caligula needed therapy there's a lot of people (laughs) and we're not even sponsored by them but better help anyway um uh no, that's just really that's just really sad because yeah, overnight she went from being just like America's sweetheart, France's sweetheart, to fucking nobody. Like I hate that. Um, something we're gonna learn later, several times in telling her story, is that Maggie A loved being in love, and even though she's really young. She considered herself very much in love with Charles, um, which that that fucking guy has gone down in history as like not a particularly great king and kind of an asshole and also really ugly. So I think she dodged a bullet. I want to read you a quick passage. Or do you want to read the quick? Passage, no, Nathan? go for okay. it. <laughs> I want to read you a quick passage of something that I read um, describing 
Charles VIII, because he, like, would later go on and try to, like, conquer Italy. Do you remember the French king and the TV show The Borgias? Yes. That's this guy. Ah, this fucking guy. This fucking guy. So he's described as very small, short-sighted, and distressingly ugly. What? (laughs) Ouch. Ouch. Oh, I want to Google a picture of him now. He walked with a crouch and a limp. His feet were too big, and it was rumored he had a sixth toe. He was notoriously gluttonous and lecherous, and he was appallingly ill-educated. Oh my gosh. So that is what, that is how people viewed him. Yep, there he is. He's Nathan is now. Nathan has Googled it. Well, nobody from this time is particularly good looking. But But this one is terrible. He's got a nose that takes up three quarters of his face. Lips that take up the other quarter of his face and a butt chin. And poor yeah. guy, like I poor mean, poor guy. You know, Look, I love a big nose. Aphrodite, Aphrodite was day. not smiling down on him. <laughs> no, no, but no, yeah. So I think she dodged a bullet, but yeah, Maggie did. at the time, it was like she had been told this is going to be your husband, so she like forced herself in love with him her entire life, and now she's brokenhearted. Yeah. And this is where um, Maggie enters her emo phase. <laughs> she cuts all of her yeah. hair off, makes it in like that, you know, diagonal with, with the dark hair, bangs, maybe one mm-hmm. little bro- blonde streak just to be like, I'm a little she bit wild. She gets really into the Smiths. Yes. <laughs> oh so emo Margaret has her headphones on and she's listening to the Smiths as she's being sent back home to her mother's lands in Belgium in 1493 at the age of 13. And she is sent back to live with her step-grandmother, Margaret of York. Here she comes again. At this point, she's been in France for 10 years. So this is an adjustment. Like, she is in a different land, different culture. Everything's off the charts different. And she's sad. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what her... Her step-grandma, Margaret of York, writes to Maximilian. She's just like, oh, I'm so happy to have her back. She's so pretty. She's uh, petite and blonde and well-educated. She's well-mannered. She carries herself like a queen, but she's sad. She's depressed. She's she's just emo as fuck right now, which, I mean, I I I don't blame her, you know? Yeah. And Maximilian writes back, uh, but she's single and we can't have that. <laughs> so she's an old maid at this point. She's 13, yeah. Nathan. Oh gosh. She's, I mean, she's, uh, she's so old. <laughs> so Maximilian starts shopping around for a new husband for this, you know, jilted 13 year old daughter. And that's when he starts talking to this other fucking guy uh, every time I see the name, I'm just like, oh, why? Um, mm, a dude named Ferdinand of Aragon. Maybe you've heard of him. Well, and Ferdinand or Max and Max are both like, hey, fuck France. And France. you know what? Fuck France right in the croissant. Croissant. <laughs> <laughs> so- They decide on a double marriage alliance. Okay, a little refresher to anyone who is new to Queen's Podcast, uh, or maybe just this time in history. This is our fourth episode where Ferdinand is a supporting character. Four too many. (laughs) Four too many, honestly, because fuck this guy. I could go... I, I can and I have gone on rants about why I hate Ferdinand of Castile, or Ferdinand of Aragon. He was... um. The cheating husband in our two Isabel of Castile episodes. Yes. He was um, the neglectful father in our Catherine of Aragon episode. And then he was he was Jamie Spears in our two Juana of Castile episodes. So, oh, poor baby Juana. I know. Hashtag poor baby Juana. Justice for Juana. Juana, Juana of Castile, Juana. not the other name that they like to call her. Ugh. No. Oh, we had a we had a merch suggestion from somebody. So if somebody wants to design this for us, please do. It's like somebody asked for something that said like 
Juana wasn't crazy on it, and then underneath it, say it, have it say it that in Spanish as well. Ah, um, uh, the cute sounds, idea. Yeah. Somebody wants to design that for us, please. Um, yeah, slide into our DMs. Anyway, <laughs> so if this is your first time meeting Ferdinand, or you haven't opened up a history book about it at all. Um, he is the co-ruler of what we consider today modern Spain. Um, his wife is Isabella of Castile, and they are the power couple of Europe the at the time. The power couple. Yeah. Yes. So this is a very, very attractive alliance, the Holy Roman Emperor. Mm-hmm. Ferdinand and Isabella have a son named Juan and a daughter named Juana. <laughs> I can just imagine them being like, Okay, we're gonna name him Juan, and we'll name her Juan. Uh, uh Juana, Juana, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they decide that Margaret will marry Juan, and her brother Philip will marry Juana, and this is just—I mean, it's—it's it's a great alliance for them, but it's also just a big old middle finger to Charles over in France. Yeah, can you imagine like like, two power countries that are right around you that make an alliance? That's intimidating. And this is a good alliance too, and it's you know, but also because sometimes history is also just a dick-waving competition, and this is It always is a dick-waving competition. It still is a lot of the time. Yes. In 1496, Margaret is 16 so she got her new convertible. <laughs> She's got her driver's license, y'all. She can drive around the low countries. Nathan, tell tell the listeners about your first car. Your first car was so delightful. Yes, my first car, a 1967 Volkswagen Bug. And it was... How reliable was it? Not reliable at all. Whenever you <laughs> opened up the back, it looked like a lawnmower engine that you literally needed the little <laughs> string to start. Um, but it was gold and silver, which sounds awful. And it was. Um, it was just so tacky. It was cute. And I loved it. I remember riding in it, though, but getting like a little bit dizzy from the fumes. Yeah, because there was gasoline leaking into the... <laughs> into the. Don't light up a cigarette. You might combust. <laughs> I think that if uh, Margaret of Austria would have gotten a car for her 16th birthday, it would have been a little bit nicer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, it would have been. So anyway. it's, it's 1496, Margaret's 16, and her and Juan are married by proxy, a.k.a. It's like the modern, I mean, it's like the modern day getting married in Vegas. Like, you just randomly have to get married. And it's like, like let's go do, do this. Now. And it's like, let's right now, it. even though it's like in different areas, you just have to get married right now. Like, and so, Can you get married by Zoom? Sure. I'm sure. Come on, COVID. Come on, COVID. I'm sure COVID. You may now I kiss mean, so, the bride. <laughs> you kiss I mean, the so camera. I mean, so have the marriage certificate. I don't, I wonder. Anyway, that, that's a, I guess I know what I'm looking up later. Um, <laughs> Just for her so, 90 yeah. day fiance fix. <laughs> yes. Yes. So Maggie is now the princess. <laughs> Maggie is now the princess of Asturias. Prince of Asturias is what they call the male heir in Spain. In, yeah. And, but, you know, I'm getting this vibe that Margaret was a bit like, okay, my last marriage didn't work out that well. This one might not work out that well. So let's not get too excited about this. Yeah, she's still right? got the Smiths on. She's got that song that's like, and you cry and you want to die. You know, she's just <laughs> emo <laughs> You know the one that like opened up. What was I that? Do. What was that? What was that TV show with the witches? Um, I am human and I need to be loved. Oh my gosh! Like everyone else does. She's real deep into her Smiths era. Well, Charmed. Charmed. Uh, Charmed. Oh uh, gosh, that was I was gonna have insomnia for like <laughs> three days straight until I figured. But that yeah, out. it was the theme song for Charmed. So Waking she's up, listening like, to that, three being like, what do, they do? <laughs> "What do they do?" She's listening to that, being like, "I'm not getting my hopes up. <laughs> I have been burnt before, and you cry and you want to die." <laughs> <laughs> so soon after her big fat proxy wedding, she's on a boat to Spain. And it goes bad. Um, real bad, y'all. Real bad. <laughs> they hit a big storm and Irwin oh, is scared. Irwin yes. is scared, indeed. <laughs> and remember, Maggie is still listening to the Smiths. So she's yes. in her emo phase. 
And so she takes time to jot all this down in a super quick poem. Here lies Margaret, the willing bride, twice married, but a virgin when she died. Bless her heart. Bless her. (laughs) That That is the most 16 year old emo poem i've ever read like i was supposed to be wedded but i never got to bone no yeah (laughs) oh bless her little emo heart but she doesn't die a virgin spoiler alert (laughs) she does make it to spain again we have to imagine that she's probably pretty apprehensive about this whole this whole thing she's still a little butthurt from the france of it all and she doesn't know these people. She's been sent here to live with strangers. So she's probably in her mind, like, what's going to stop them from treating me badly, too? And, you know, her last dude embarrassed the hell out of her, broke her heart, married her stepmom. They all went on Maury. Like, it was an ordeal. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. So when Juan and Ferdinand meet after her arrival, she's nervous. Uh, yeah. Can you blame her? Absolutely not! And she sees them and curtsies and tries to give each one of them a polite kiss on the cheek. And they were like, OMG, what are you doing? What we, are you doing? We're huggers in this family. And yeah, they just shower her with affection and love and hugs and gifts and compliments. And just like, oh my God, we're so happy you're here. And like, isn't that the best case scenario for her? Right. Like... She gets taken back to this palace where she gets to meet the entire family because, you know, Juan had lots of sisters. So he would have, and her, his mom. So she meets like Isabella Castile. She meets like Catherine of Aragon. And they are so excited to meet her. And she just clicks with the whole family immediately. And I love that. Yeah. They, basically all fall in love with each other like this is so crazy like finally he's in love with the person and we know that she loves to be in love yes we've talked about the children of isabella of castile before and how all of them were madly in love with their spouses yeah but that's a very interesting dynamic that we won't go into too much because you know we've done the juan of castile episode but her son no different he loved his new bride. Oh, good for them. How cute. Oh, no. This was a very happy time for Margaret. Thank God. She puts away the black. She is out of the emo phase and she is in to like a happy, loving. She needed this. I'm yes. so happy for her. And also they're about the same age. She's like 16, almost 17. He's like 18. Neither of them are... Neither of them, like, 16 or 18 now is maybe too young to be getting married. But back then, no. Like, that was, they are past puberty. So we are fine with it. And they're about the same age. So it's not creepy. It's a good match. It's a good match both dynastically and um, personally. Yeah. So something that I wonder about their marriage, they were married by proxy, which is legally binding. But they still needed to have their official in-person church wedding. So she arrived in Spain in late February, maybe early March, and they had their official wedding in April. Could they bone in the intermittent? Could? Could they? Could could they they go to bone town? Could? I don't know. He's got she, her driver's license. She can drive on got, into Bone Town. She can't. She's got a one-way ticket to Bone Town. Did she <laughs> use it? I don't know. And like, oh my god, me trying to research this, I like didn't even know. Like, I, I'm just like. First of all, my FBI agent that watches my search history is like, what the fuck is she even trying to look up? Like, <laughs> <laughs> proxy wedding. Sex question mark before church wedding? Like I, oh. <laughs> how do you how does one how does one but I mean it's I a valid know. question. If you have a legally binding marriage, you're yeah. technically married, so therefore yeah. you could have sex. Period. Right? Yes. 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 But then what's even the point of the church wedding? 
Well, so that people can see you actually together. Yeah. Ceremony. <laughs> she sips her drink with her pinky up. <laughs> I just, <laughs> you know, ceremony. <laughs> I kind of, I just feel kind of, I'm good. Let's move on. <laughs> hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. We're bat bat back again, yes. and we're back in Maggie's story. So, in April third of fourteen ninety seven, Maggie and Juan were married in a huge over the top wedding ceremony, followed by weeks and weeks of celebration. It was a huge deal. Yeah, it was partying, traveling from town to town around Spain for like weeks, and it was just a party. Everywhere they went to celebrate their marriage. Yes, y'all, for real. I would say a contemporary comparison for how popular Margaret was in Spain. Think Princess Diana in the 1980s, except that her husband actually liked her. Oh, yeah, and think about that. Think a happy Princess Diana, the people's princess. Like, people were tripping over themselves to give her gifts, tell her how loved she was. And she's just charming people left and right with, like, her wit, her sense of humor, her grace, her elegance, her beauty. Like, she, oh, she is a hit. Yeah, and she gets along with the new family, too. So that's a big thing. Yes. Like, Ferdinand loves showing her off. They end up playing card games because he's a dude bro. And (laughs) they tell dirty jokes because he's a dude bro. And... (laughs) But she and Isabella, since she's more of, Isabella's more of the intellectual, smart kind of gal that doesn't want to just play games and tell jokes. She (laughs) likes to read books and listen to music. And that's, you know, Maggie could get along with her there, too. Margaret's like, do you know the Smiths? And she's like, no, honey, we're not doing that. (laughs) Uh, Isabella's like, "Mm -mm, no, thank you. And this marriage, if it hadn't already been consummated... It certainly was, like, immediately after the church wedding. Do we have receipts? Do we have receipts? We do- Well, well, she got pregnant. Is that a receipt enough That's a receipt. That's, that's a, a receipt. Big, that's, that's a, a receipt. big receipt. Yes. That's a big receipt. She's pregnant. Yay! She would have been thrilled by this. Her whole family would have been thrilled by this. All of Spain would have been thrilled by this. This is the next, because remember, Isabel and Ferdinand each, you know, respectively brought part of Spain together. So the child of um, Juan and Margaret was going to be like a generation that finally cements the unity of Spain. What we know today is like basically modern day Spain. So yeah, it was like a whole new generation, a whole new era, just huge time of celebration in her life. 
this was probably the happiest time in Margaret's life so far. Um, so, of course, everything has been gonna shit. Of course it does. Okay, do you remember that episode of Friends? We find out that when Joey is reading a book and it gets to a part that he doesn't like, he puts it in the freezer to stop. Oh my gosh, yes. Like when he's reading, like he's reading Little Women and he's like, Beth is really sick. And Rachel's <laughs> like, you want to put Little Women in the freezer? I want to put this story in the freezer right here. Right. Can we stop? I don't want Juan to die. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Juan dies. <laughs> no, he's never really been sick. the picture of health. Yeah. Like, he's never... He's always been sickly. He's, you know, been partying a lot the last few weeks, drinking, traveling, eating a lot. And poor baby, it took a toll on his health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The rumor, there was a rumor basically that this was Margaret's fault. And this pisses me off so bad. Just being like, oh, she made him overdo it in the bedroom. Like people actually said that out loud that she caused so the death of her husband it wasn't consensual she forced him, him. too much yeah he's okay gross. okay he's 18 yeah. years old uh, he, back off yeah and like i if she would have heard that rumor that would have broke that, that's so fucking gross i just ugh, gag is all i have to say right. about let's move on so we don't know exactly what illness Juan had, but we do know that he quote-unquote succumbed to a fever, and sweet baby Prince Juan, the husband that Margaret loves so much, died in October of 1497. I feel like devastated isn't a strong enough word to explain the grief that followed Juan's death. Uh, Agreed. Margaret was brokenhearted, obviously, all of Juan's family was just besides himself. The entire country was just like, what now? What next? What, like brokenhearted, except except for maybe the Jewish and Muslim people. Um, but that's yeah, that for was another time. Yeah, that, I mean, we could go down. I mean, Isabella Castillo, we love you, but you were problematic oh, you in that area, not that general genocide area. Genocide, not great with other religions remember maggie's in the early stages of pregnancy so everyone is walking on eggshells with her yeah this child she's carrying is the next generation of rulers in a united spain so it's a big deal and margaret was treated very very well in this time but history is horrible so her baby unfortunately was born stillborn and to put another fucking dagger in her heart the baby was born on april 2nd which was a day before the one-year anniversary of her and juan's church wedding i hate this so much why did you invite me to this party i I like can i go home (laughs) i i want to cry just like Ugh. Any empaths out there listening to this, I bet you're bawling your fucking eyes out. Like, can you fucking imagine just the heartbreak she must have been dealing with? I don't like this. Oh, I don't like it's it. a really dark time for her, obviously. But luckily, she did have the support from Juan's family, where a lot of people would have been like, a lot of royal families that we've researched would have been like, get back to your country. You're no longer needed here. Your husband's dead. Your baby's they dead. actually... Yeah, they actually took her in, and Isabella of Castile took her in and grieved with her. Yeah. And she staying in Spain for the next two years, which is huge. Yeah. And while we while we hate that, you know, she had a stillborn child and her husband died, we do love that she at least wasn't alone in all of this grief. Yeah. And that she wasn't immediately thrown into a new marriage. She was allowed to properly grieve and had a good support system. So, yay. yay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true, though. Um, you know, in grieving, like if she would have been sent home, I'm sure they would have treated her well and understood she was grieving. But when grieving, I really do think it helps to um, have people there that you can tell stories, like that everyone knew him and you can tell stories about everything that y'all did together. And, yeah, it just breaks my heart that it happened, but I'm so happy that she did get that chance to have that closure and that therapy, really, honestly. Um, but 
because she's still a bargaining chip for her dad, eventually she did have to go back home, and she was on a boat again in 1500. She was heading back to Belgium to her family home. Again. again. (laughs) (laughs) To enter into marriage negotiations. Uh, Again. (laughs) She must have been nervous. You know, who will they choose for me? Am I going to love them? Will I love again? How is my new family going to treat me? What does my future hold? And I think that is a good place to leave her on this little cliffhanger until next time. All right, Nathan. Well, I will talk to you in a couple weeks about what happens with the rest of Margaret of Austria. And I can't wait. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Cheers, bitches. Cheers. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now.